You are listening to the Christian Worship Center podcast. For more information about our church, please visit us at cwcstillwell.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Revival for us in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and uh, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, as a as a young child that side of the church, right over kind of between those pews. And uh, when I kind of came to my senses. Brother Marty was uh, standing right there, leaning over whatever they were doing, and and uh, my life has been different since. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I want to go right to the Word of God, and Luke chapter number nineteen is uh, where I'm going to take my text, and then I've got several uh, directions to go. Whenever you uh, Whenever I go to preach, and I think any any minister who really has a passion and a burden, I heard a man in arrogance one time talk about why he got anointed, and he said, I, I'm anointed because I live holy. And, well, yes, kind of, okay, yes. But uh, uh, about a week later, a young minister didn't, didn't know anything, just came by preaching, and out of the blue, he just, and it's interesting how the Holy Ghost will just realign your wheels. He looks over at that minister and he said, you know why we get anointed? My attention, my attention was, he had my attention. <laughs> he said, you know why we get anointed? Because God loves his people and the anointing breaks the yoke. That's it. There's nothing special, no, no, uh, you, you don't pay enough to get it, you don't grab enough uh, uh, sweaty handkerchiefs from anointed men and rub them on your head to get it. You don't go lay on somebody's tomb that had died who was one time anointed and get it. It is God loves his people. And God's going to speak through whoever is in front of a hurting soul. If there will be a conduit, God's, God's going to use you. And the anointing, the same anointing that falls on your pastor on a Sunday morning will fall on you right there one-on-one as you minister the gospel to a hurting person. So if you want to be anointed, find hurting people. Well, that's not hard to find, is it? Amen. My, my daughter did tell me, I'll, this is the last comical thing I'll try to say, but I have a seven-year-old uh, tragedy. She's, all my other kids are about grown. Uh, there's seven years between her and what was my baby. And uh, we thought it was all done and everything was good. And then Reagan happened. And, and uh, oh my, I, I don't have time to tell you. But just to give you, just to give you an insight, um, we were kind of going back and forth. And I looked at her and I said, you think I was born last night? She looked at me for a second, rubbed my forehead and said, not with those wrinkles. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> and she is disowned. She is no longer in the will. So I don't know what she's going to do. So that's what I live with. So, well, all right, let's go to work. Uh, Luke chapter number 19, verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I, I, don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm going to go three different places with this, that the Lord will be my helper. And I'm not just, the focus isn't just, lost in the sense that we church folks think about lost being, and that is someone who is away from God. But more so, maybe as as the service progressed, I kind of felt 
the kind of the comfort that dropped dropped into my soul that I was kind of on the right track here. But more uh, more along the lines of things that are lost. Our minds get lost. Our direction, our purpose, they get lost. Can, can you say, man, they get they get lost. We get lost in in the world. And so the Son of Man, yes, to not take this verse out of context, he did come to seek and to save that which was absolutely lost, that was hopeless, that sin of a product of the fall, he came to save those. But it's not out of context to to look at this in, in light of what I just described. This passage comes on the heels of Zacchaeus and his encounter with him. And as he's concluding that conversation, Jesus makes a statement of what his mission was. For I, the Son of Man, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you'll look with me, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump around. So if you're a little bit behind on your Bible reading, we'll catch you up here real quick. Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 2. The Bible says, the people that walked in darkness have, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. I want to first talk to you about this thought. If you are lost today, he will not leave you in the dark. I don't want to ever fail in trying to deal in, 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 a, in a crowd this size or any size. There's multiple needs that are here. But I don't want to fail to deal with the fact that if you are lost in this place, if you do not know the Lord, if you have backslidden, if you are away from God then you are in the dark. You're in the dark. And Isaiah tells us in this great passage where he goes on to depict what Jesus would go through and the things that he would endure, uh, his back being striped for our sins, his, uh, the, the sin and the bruising that we had, had inflicted upon him, him taking that willingly and being that lamb. Um, but in Luke chapter number 15, it's a very familiar passage to anyone when you start thinking about lost things. Uh, I got three questions I want to pose to you in this. Luke 15 and 4, he said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one, one of them doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that one which is lost until he find it? There's the first question. Luke number chapter number 15 and verse number 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Two, two questions right there. And then he says, he ends his question asking, he says, a certain man had two sons. It is possible for you to be raised in church, never leave church, never embarrass anybody, never make a mistake, really what we, would, what we as church people or society would call mistakes, never cuss, never... Uh, run with those that do, and still be lost in your soul. Still not have been saved. We had a young man in our youth group, and, and when asked if when he knew that he had been converted, can you tell me when you've been converted? This young man said, I have always been saved. I've always been saved. As long as I can remember, I've been saved. That is not how salvation works. It is not a hereditary thing. Your mom, your dad, your grandparent, you can have a lineage of, of uh, saved parents and grandparents and still be lost. You must have 
a personal relationship. And so it speaks of one of those. It also speaks of something that has been lost, a sheep that was lost. And then I think, I feel like personally, that these two verses, actually Jesus gives these two parables and then tells us a real story of that actually happened and he's using the two parables to set the stage for that story. The first one was wayward, was lost far away, and the, the father or the shepherd had to go hunt that one down. The other one was lost in the house. And if you read this story, and I won't take the time to read that because i got a lot of ground to cover. If you read this story, you see both of those. You see that uh, prodigal son that went out, and he disgraced his father, and he went away from him. And then you see the son who stayed home. One comes back home, the other one sits at home upset, frustrated, and angry that his brother got the kind of reception that he got because of all that he had done. I think you see, can see both of those stories in that. But where I want, what I want to talk to you about concerning this, this verse of Scripture, get my notes in order here, this verse of Scripture is the fact that this son came home. There is there are some interesting things that that transpire here, and we we there's been a lot of question, at least in my mind, over the years. I pastored for ten years, was in ministry for a number of years before that, and so we preach from this verse of scripture quite often. F. D. Borum said that you could preach from this fifty two Sundays, this one chapter. 52 Sundays and preach it different every Sunday. A lot of material to unpack in this, in this text. However, the, this son going away, and, we, and I've looked at this, and I was like, what was the significance? Why did the father never go out and hunt for his son? Why did he never look for him? This son was clearly in the dark. He was away. He was making mistake after mistake. There was no doubt reports coming back to the father of what had transpired. I mean, his son for sure knew because he gave him a list of the stuff the boy did whenever he was confronting him about the party that he was throwing. So we know that information was coming back to the father. He never went out looking for him as far as physically leaving the porch. And I don't know why that was. In per se, as far as like why he didn't leave to go hunt him down, except for this. According to Jewish custom, that young man, when he left and disgraced his father the way that he did, the elders, he had to pass by those elders at the gate. Those elders took, had a ritual, and they took, the, they took some pots and they broke them. And that means that that young man could never, ever have the opportunity to disgrace his father again. He, if he came back, if he was seen coming back into the city, that young man would be stoned by the elders before the father ever got a chance to get to him. Now, that's if you're, if you're thinking ahead of me, this story is fixing to get really exciting. Because here this young man is, he comes to his senses, he heads back home, and his father, the Bible tells us, would go and look. He would go and search for that boy. And I want to tell you that no matter where you've been, and I can tell you that you can go to some low places, and God still will not leave you in the dark if you have a heart, if you're wanting to get out of it. If you want to stay there, the Father is not going to make you get out of the mess that you are in. He will deal with you. He will draw you. He will allow the Holy Spirit to come and permeate your mind. He will remind you as He did this Son 
done, the memory of the Father's house and all that was good. But I'm telling you, you have to get up. But if you will make the first move, God will come and God will help you. He will minister to you. He will touch you. He will strengthen you and He'll give you the power to come all the way back home. This, this son, this father would go and he would look according to that custom. He would watch for his son as he was coming home. He sees that son. So does those elders. So do those men who have pledged that they would not allow this good man in their community to have his name smeared anymore. And that father has to run. He runs according to Jewish custom. He runs ahead of those elders And he grabs his son to prevent. He wants him to know, I have got my son. It is okay for him to come back home. That's what the father, judgment stands against us who have sinned and who hasn't sinned. Judgment stands, as as Pastor already talked about, the brass. But when we look to him, when we run to him, I want to encourage you, if you are away from God, he will bring you back. There's a place that you can come back home. To him, he will not leave you in the dark. The next thing that I want to talk to us about has to do with where it's real easy to find ourselves. If you are at a loss today, if you're lost in the house today, he is here to help you. If you are at a loss, anybody in here at a loss? You can lift your hands. I got both of mine up. There's some stuff going on in our world. I don't know anything that transpires in and around here. I work for a company that allows me to kind of pass through occasionally, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know what your local economy, what the local situations are, what, what the local situation is here in the church. I'd have pastored long enough to know that, that they are. <laughs> they just are. They're there. They're situations. And you may find yourself at a loss. And I want to encourage you for a few minutes that he will not leave you in that darkness either. He won't leave you... In that darkness. Uh, 1 Kings chapter number 19 and verse number 13. It was so when Elijah heard it. That he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. And stood in the, in the entering in of the cave. And behold there came a voice unto him. And said. What doest thou here Elijah? There's a lot, a, a lot again to unpack. I'm just kind of pulling some. Uh, I, I don't really have time, if you if you understand, to, to allow... I mean, I have time. I don't know if y'all have time. How's that? <laughs> I'd probably be losing you by degrees. I'm thankful we can't smell the food. I am that. <laughs> Very thankful. Um, <laughs> my ADHD mind. <laughs> um, Their the circumstances... To life seem to be, if circumstances in life seem to be against you, this that's where Elijah found himself. In a, in short order, he he was he was in a situation where 
God was moving. There was there was national sin. There was really national tragedy everywhere. God had moved upon him. He prayed. He shut up the heavens. Uh, finally, finally gets Ahab to the mountain to get him and get his attention. Uh, the prophets of Baal. He wins victory over them. It looks like Israel's moving into revival. And I can I can tell you. And if you're unaware of this, be be looking to your pastor as a to, to lift his hands up in a situation like this. If everything seems like, I mean, we're in revival. I mean, the, we're on we're on the mountain. Altars have been tore down. The rain is falling. Uh, everything is moving. Let me tell you, that's when the enemy is going to sack him if he can. At the highlight, at the height. At the highest place, at the place where it looks like he would never be discouraged. How could he be discouraged? If I could tell you just for a moment, some of those moments when we pastored, uh, and I look back now and I'm thinking, God, how in the world could I have have not have not saw what you were doing? Because the enemy begins to attack you with all the other stuff, and you can't see that if you're not careful, your faith gets in crisis. And that's exactly where Elijah finds himself. His, his faith, he's having a crisis of faith. God is moving. God has helped him destroy all the... I mean, he answers by fire. That had not happened except one other time or two other times in, in Scripture where God actually dropped fire from heaven and he's praying and the fire falls. And, well, it wasn't enough because Jezebel says... If you're around here this time tomorrow, your head's on a platter. And the guy's like, God was so big to kill all these prophets and empower him to do all that he did. And then, boom, he's gone. He's, he's in the cave. But let's not judge him too harshly because we've probably been there too. When you'd have personal revival and then something flares its head and you're, you're in the cave. Questioning, forgetting. How, man, our memories are so ADHD. I understand ADHD. I, I I am a poster child for ADHD. If I didn't have these right here exactly in order, it would be a little more chaotic. And my wife could say, man, I, I understand it. But we, we as Christians become ADHD, attention deficit disorder. We forget about what God has done. This little distraction over here or this little distraction over here. And, and I am preaching to this boy while I'm I'm just letting you in on a conversation me and God are having. How's that? Because I, I understand this very, very well. And he's found himself in this cave. And it feels as if God is out of control. Does it feel like to you this morning that God is out of control of your situation? I mean, be, let's be honest. Just, you can, we're, just, we're just real. Does it feel like that God is out of control? That he's, he may have, like put this thing in motion and then just let me go work on something else and we'll just see how this spins out. Elijah finds himself in that situation. F.D. Borum found himself in such a situation. He was a, a, a great writer, a great preacher, first in England and then in Australia. And he was in a very dark, depressing time. And we are certainly in dark and depressing times. Coming out of a pandemic, Still don't know what in the world is going to happen there. Right out of a pandemic, straight into gas prices through the roof. I don't know about y'all here, but ours are high. Uh, groceries, 
if you can find it. It's, it's starting to look a little, if you're raising kids, it's a little nerve-wracking. I'll just be honest with you. And all these things begin to attack our, our faith. They begin to affect us. They affect us when we come into the house of God. It's, it's a little harder to get the hands up. But yet we're praying, we're worshiping ADHD. We're sitting here thinking about, we're worshiping, we're saying words, and we're thinking about all the stuff that we have to do. And all the things that we have to protect against. And what's the next move. And so. He finds himself there. If Deborah found himself in this. He was and went through several days. And it topped that off. The weather was very dark and dreary. And it had been snowing. Several inches of snow on the ground. And he got up this morning. And he was just, just complaining. He said to God. Just pouring his heart out. About what was happening in his life. And he said the Lord just said, open the window. And he opens a window, and he looked out there, and we're all that night before there had been all this snow, the sun was shining bright, and it cleared almost every bit of that snow, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of snow off his roof, out of his driveway, and he never made a sound. He said, I can move every bit of that and not make a sound. We associate God moving in our lives with noise. We do. I mean, if you, you drag this right here across, I'm going to make noise. If I pick it up and set it down, there's a friction and an action, and we associate it with noise. But God can move and is moving, and that's what I want to tell you in your situation. And He's not, He don't have to make any noise. He doesn't have to make any noise. And also, the crisis of faith, last of all, and somebody can come back to the piano. Um, actually, if you all want to sing... That what you were singing earlier, brother, that'd be, that'd be great, however you want to do that. Thomas finds himself in a crisis of faith. Circumstances that he had witnessed and things that he had seen. God disappointed him. I mean, of all the people here, Thomas is sitting here seeing who Elijah only hoped to see. Thomas walked with him. Thomas was with him, hand in hand. I mean, he he was a, a few chapters before. <clears throat> a few chapters before, Thomas is is like, "Hey, I'll go with you and die." He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he said, "Let's go and die." He thought for sure with the with the religious political system that was going on in that part of the country that he would be dead by the time Jesus got done operating. He was cool with it. That wasn't a problem. And now he's sitting here and he's, he's, he's torn between what is the kingdom of God and what does it look like and, and, and what is Jesus saying because I thought he was saying this and he, he wasn't. He was actually saying something different and everything I thought does not look like what it was supposed to be. Have you ever in your Christian experience come across that scenario in your life where what you thought God, what somebody told you God, what this person said or that person shikamoshied over you and, and all these things and in our mind we thought for sure it was going to be this way and this was the will of God and this was the work of God and this was how God was going to move and the changes and all and it didn't work out like that at all. We stood up in church and testified this is what I feel like God is doing and God was doing something else. That's not because God was being mean to you. That's not. God's plan is God's plan. 
Sometimes we just get excited and we think things or people do. And, I, and God works through all of that. So if you are in this house and you are lost or you're in a delusion or you're in dismay, I want to tell you, he will not leave you. He will not leave you in the dark. Home, upset, flipped upside down. This is not how it was supposed to be. He won't leave you in the dark. Circumstances seem impossible. He will not leave you in the dark. Thomas is looking at an impossible situation. An impossible situation. He's sitting here and he's like, uh, that Jesus is alive. And he goes, I didn't see him. He showed up in my house. He was in such a dark place that a man who was going to give his life one minute is sitting here going, I don't know if I even believe. A little, uh, just on the verge of being atheistic. I think I was just duped. And I'm telling you, the last few years, I went through that. I talked to Brother Marty several months ago about that. Some of that anyway. Where, it, I mean, everything, please don't fall out with me. But everything in this book that I had preached for years, I taught to Sunday school classes and college career classes, taught to my children. I'm sitting here going, God, I don't know if any of this stuff is real. I'm, I'm, just, being, I'm just being absolutely real with you. I don't know if this is real. I don't, and, and then it would it just, I won't go into the circumstances right now, but it just dark, dark. I had one word from... Uh, a minister in town that we did some things in the community together. And right before I left Russellville, he said, it's fixing to be really dark and desolate for a season. And then the wind of the Holy Spirit's going to begin to breathe on you. I didn't know if I'd live. I, I, I'm a red-blooded American, Oklahoman, Arkansan, Texan. I've kind of got all three of those. And, and I carry a weapon. I don't have one on me now. I figured there's probably a few around here. Carry a weapon. I quit. I quit carrying it in my car. quit carrying it in my person because I found myself a couple of times. I'm just being, being honest, being transparent with you. Sitting in a parking lot where I shouldn't have been with a gun in my hand because it was so dark. See, I drank the Kool-Aid. I believed. I believed this. I believed men. And everything got flipped upside down and shaken up. And can I caution you when you're in that moment? Do not do what you feel like doing. Don't trust your emotions. That's free, just just throwing that out there. Don't trust your emotions. Do absolutely the opposite of what you're feeling like doing at that moment. Thomas found himself in this situation. And aren't you glad that Jesus will come back just for one? That's basically what I've been telling you all the way through here. Elijah didn't have a choir with him. He didn't have an entourage with him. He didn't have his, he didn't even have his sidekick with him. All by himself in the cave and Jesus came. God came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Realign your wheels. Get refocused. There's work for you to do. Your, your successor is out there, boy. And you need to go find him and anoint him. You're sitting here grieving over this, and I've got greater things for you to go do. You're fixing to get caught up in a chariot of fire, son. You're fixing to get out of here. There's greater things for you, boy. What are you doing here? He wasn't. He knew where he was at, and he knew why he was there, but he wanted Elijah to know why he was there. 
What are you doing here? I'll close with this. Thomas finds him when he appears before him. Thomas's declaration is, my Lord and my God. Standing there with his hands out. Come on, boy. Touch your hands. Reach in here. Right here. You can put your hand in my side. You can, you can see one guy said receipts. <laughs> receipts prove that you've been somewhere and purchased something. He said, you can, you can see the receipts in my hand and in my side. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. I'm going to make an altar here. There was a had the privilege. My my dad is my dad is blind. He's been blind all of all of my life, and um, I had the privilege to hear a gentleman give his testimony. Uh, growing up, he was actually a doctorate in divinity, minister, uh, public speaker, and he was talking about his early childhood. And when he said that he was blind, he caught my caught my attention. The young man said that, he said, I was able to see up until I was about 11 years old, and then a sickness, something happened, accident happened, and he lost his vision. And he said, um, there's things that I would do to help my dad around the house and chores and things, and he said, I was just angry. I'm, I'm just a young man, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with no vision. The, 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 the anger that you could imagine he would be feeling with that kind of situation happening. He said, my, my dad, I would just sit around the house and mope. And finally, my dad's like, you've you got to get up and get out of this. And he said, it, fall was coming on. It was, he says, back in the day when they still hung plastic over the windows before winter set in to help block the cold. Anybody know what that's all about? And so he said that, he said that my dad told me, he said, you get out there. I'm going to work, and you get that, you get the plastic hung. He said, I was indignant. How in the world, what in the world do you think you're doing? I am blind. Don't you understand anything? He said, I was so furious at my dad. And sat down on the porch. I heard him go out the gate, heard the car drive off. And he said, I sat there just fuming. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I will. I will get the ladder out, and I'm going to get up there and fall off and break something, and then he'll feel terrible. And he said, I went, to, I went to work, hammering, stumbling around. He said, after a few minutes, muscle memory came back, and I actually was kind of proud of myself that I was able to get the work done. I was able to get the plastic hung, and he said, I got done before Dad was supposed to be back home and was sitting on the porch when he came home. Dad said, good job, put, put me through some other tests. But he said, my attitude changed. Well, it ain't so bad. I can survive. And he said years later when he graduated with his doctorate in divinity, his father was standing there and he said, Dad, I have one question for you. He said, I do not understand at that age why you would leave me when there was so much peril and I, I was so scared. I don't understand that. And he said his dad began to weep and he said, Son, I didn't leave you. I didn't leave you. He said, Yes, I drove off. He said, But I came back and I was standing just to the side of you. And when the hammer was just a little bit out of your reach, I would push it to you so you could grope around and find it. 
And when, and when your ladder was precariously leaned against the side of the house, when you turned around, I, I straightened the ladder and stepped aside. And I, I want to tell you that you are not left alone. Like I said, I don't know a thing. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening around you. But I want to tell you, you're not left alone. And you may be feeling like that you're blind and groping in the dark. But I'm telling you that the reason you're here today is because he's aligned the ladder. He has pushed the tools in front of you so that groping and struggling you could find them. Because it's the making of a man and a woman. If you don't go through stuff, you don't have the strength to stand in the new place. God is taking you somewhere. I don't know where this sermon found you. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, in this altar, I've done my best to try to relate what you placed on my heart. I pray that you would do your work. I, I, I'm so inept. You do your work in the hearts and lives. And those, if there's a lost soul in here, if there's a delusion soul, a struggling heart, somebody that's dismayed, I pray that you would meet us in these altars and they would leave here differently than they came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you're lost, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Yeah. You're, you don't know the Lord. I want to give the opportunity for you first. You're away from God. You're wayward. You're struggling. I want to tell you that He's come for you. He's here for you. This altar's open for you. If you're here and you are struggling with the dismay, God doesn't seem to have kept His promises. Things don't look like they should. You're in the dark. Would you respond this morning? This altar's open for you. Wait just a moment, they're going to sing. And I'm going to turn this service back to them. If you, if you need to pray, I want you to come first. Doesn't look like I thought it would look. Hasn't turned out like I thought it would turn out. Thank you.